And you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, activist LaJane Harani discusses the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and performer Simona Castricum joins us. 3CR Well, this week the Melbourne Queer Film Festival announced it will not remove Israeli-made film The Swimmer from its program or boycott films made in Israel in response to demands from a group of queer Palestinian activists. Earlier this week, prior to the announcement, I spoke with Lajane Harani from the activist group about the situation. I'll give a kind of overview of the context of what happened. So earlier this year, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival um, launched a program called MQFF Together, which was essentially a stand-in for the fact that the festival couldn't happen due to COVID earlier um, or in 2020. Um, And in that program, there was not a single movie from Africa or from the Swana region more broadly um, but they had programmed not only um, the recent film by the Israeli director Eitan Fox, but also a retrospective of all of their previous films, um, which have been criticized for pinkwashing. So um, a Palestinian reached out and asked them for more information and kind of brought to their attention the gravity of what they were doing with this careless programming Um And their response back was um, a bit undercooked. They uh, justified it with the fact that they wanted to uh, display a diverse range of LGBTQ narratives um, and also defined pinkwashing as a matter of personal opinion. Um, And then so BDS Australia hosted two counter screenings to combat this. Um, one in Brisbane and one in Melbourne. Um, both were screening the documentary by Dean Spade called Pinkwashing Exposed, Seattle Fights Back. Um, and we invited someone, a representative from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival to attend and they didn't. Uh, and then a few weeks ago now, a couple of weeks ago now, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival released their 2021 program and the same thing happened again where there is a really severe underrepresentation of Swana narratives, um, not just Palestinian, but Southwest Asia and North Africa broadly. Um, and they have included in the program a recent Israeli film called The Swimmer. Um, and so we've been organizing to, A, get the Melbourne Crew Film Festival to justify why they chose to do this again after bringing it to their attention earlier this year. Um, and also to demand that they implement a cultural boycott policy to better uh, support Palestinian human rights from this point forward as an organisation. Has Melbourne Queer Film Festival responded to those requests? Yes. So they, um, after a couple of days actually of our action, which that happened, we released the action on Monday in the afternoon last week, uh, And it took them two days to reply to us saying that they were really disappointed to hear that um, they have been so careless with the Palestinian community and so many of us and the fact that so many of us feel unsafe at their festival. And they also released a public statement that um, that acknowledged the fact that the that the festival was unsafe and that they're trying their best to get things right but having said that the statement itself also used the same argument that um that 
was sent in the original email earlier this year about representing a broad um, a broad scope of queer narratives and that Israeli pro- programming in Israeli film is one of them alongside um, a, I think it's an Afghani film. Yes, um, that was their justification, which was interesting that we were specifically calling out for Palestinian narratives and they were kind of, their response was very much like, oh, Palestinian, no, that's fine. We'll give you an Af- one from Afghanistan instead, which, which maybe conflates the idea that all of these narratives are just one in the same. And, and that's quite literally not the case at all. I understand they are showing a film from Palestine. Uh, do you feel that that doesn't go far enough? Yes. So um, if you allow me to talk a little bit about um, about what it means to screen an Israeli film as opposed to just the representation of Palestinian films as well. Sure. Um, I can go a little bit further back and give some context. So... Um, in and this is maybe a long-winded story, but in 2005, um, the Israel Foreign Ministry concluded three years of market research um, with the intention of rebranding the whole country. Um, and they, a couple years later, realized they had to organize and export cultural events um, to improve the brand of the country because previously um, there was a poll conducted called the East-West Global Nation Brand Perception Index. Um, And in that poll, Israel placed 192nd out of 200. So it was behind countries like North Korea and Cuba, which, as we know, have been smeared by the West for years. So that's how bad Israel's brand was just 10 years ago. Um, And they were really desperate to reach out to the broader West, not not just Jewish populations in the West, Um, to improve that brand of Israel. And a large part of that was um, them organizing and exporting cultural events. So that's food and wine festivals promoting Israel-made products and um, Israeli film and art. Um, One example of that would be the Spotlight Tel Aviv program at the Toronto Film Festival. That was its inception. So there is quite a literal marketing strategy that was only imposed 10 years ago um, that specifically honed in on queer narratives in Israel uh, to sell this uh, brand, I suppose, of Israel being a queer haven, of Israel being the hub of LGBT narratives in the region, which is a fabrication. Um, And so the fact that Melbourne Queer Film Festival program this Israeli film to me is feeding into that uh, propaganda and that marketing strategy that is a fabrication. And if you'll allow me to take it one step further as well, the specific film that was programmed, The Swimmer, um, was actually funded by the Israel Film Fund. um, And there... was a government contract imposed in 2008 um, where any Israeli academics and artists who want to accept government funding for their projects or their research um, need to need to sign this contract, two of the clauses of which declare 
one, I will not undermine the policies of the state of Israel, and two, I will do my best to serve policies to to the state of Israel. So this film, The Swimmer, um, being funded by Israel Film Fund um, is inherently a piece of propaganda because it is dedicated to promoting the image of Israel, not only on the ground in occupied Palestine, but as an export more broadly. Do you call on the Melbourne Queer Film Festival to remove The Swimmer from its program this year? Yes, we do. And that was one of our original calls when we put the action out last week. And there was no willingness, I suppose, in our email correspondence as well to to cancel the film. Um, And so we're having a conversation with them on Thursday, but the first screening is the following day on Friday. So it definitely doesn't allow enough time logistically for that to happen, even if by the time we have the meeting, they've changed their minds. So I think there's also maybe um, a lack of acknowledging the critical timeframe that we're dealing with right now. What's your response to Melbourne Queer Film Festival's co-president Molly Whelan resigning recently in solidarity with queer Palestinians? Yeah, so I actually had a conversation with Molly yesterday um, and and it was really emotional, I think, to hear it straight from them, to hear that um, there are people who are involved internally who are willing to stand with Palestine. Having said that, it was uh, also there was an element of sadness there knowing that, well, if they resigned, there must have been pushback internally. Um, and so it put into context for me the fact that this fight is going to be a lot bigger than I'd originally realized. Um, And I don't know who else within the organization is on side uh, and who's willing to stand with Palestinian human rights. But I'm hopeful that there are waves that are happening right now and that Molly is uh, very openly communicating where they're at. Did Molly say there'd been pushback in the organization? Um, yeah, so uh, they actually shared their letter of resignation with me when they filled me in on it. Um, and and it seemed like, or I might just actually see if I can find the, um, the document itself as opposed to paraphrasing. Sure. Um, so the, the direct sentence that Molly included in their letter of resignation is, the past week has been incredibly challenging and it has become apparent that my values and vision for the festival are no longer in line with those of the board. Um, And they go on later to talk about other uh, radical movements or human rights movements that the board have pushed back against in the past, um, specifically ones about disability and no cops at pride. So it seems like there's uh, there's a push now for MQFF to go back to the radical festival that they were when they were founded in the 90s um, because it was a radical festival originally that did acknowledge the intersectionality of this fight for queer liberation. Uh, and I'm now aware of the fact that Palestine isn't the only thing that needs a little bit of an update in terms of the board's views right now at MQFF. So it sounds like you're strongly of the view that Melbourne Queer Film Festival has been pinkwashed 
For those listeners who aren't familiar with the term, how would you define pinkwashing? Yeah, um, great question. So pinkwashing, to put it really simply, is the co-opting of uh, queer narratives in order to justify Israel's colonial agenda. Of course, the, um, the term has been used now in contexts outside of Israel, but it was coined to refer to that specifically. So um, it promotes an image of Israel as a queer, friendly uh, haven, essentially. And in the process of doing that, also uh, depicts Palestinians as inherently intolerant and backwards, um, which feeds into Islamophobic narratives that are also being... uh, adopted by the West. And um, so Israel has now become this image of a queer-friendly nation, whereas in reality, they are only queer-friendly to the settlers in Israel. So a very overt example of that would be the fact that, um, that the state of Israel blackmails queer Palestinians to become informants for the state. And if they don't comply with that, uh, then they threaten to out them to their communities, which is just a disgusting act that is not queer friendly whatsoever. So I can really hear and understand why queer Palestinians in Melbourne are really being triggered by this issue and finding it really traumatic. Yeah. And even me talking to it right now, I can, I can tell, I can feel my voice starting to shake just because I do obviously take this so personally as a Palestinian, as a trans Palestinian myself, knowing that um, my queer brothers, my queer siblings on the ground are, are having to face this every day. And it sounds like Melbourne Queer Film Festival really needs to kind of feel that as well. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like a face-to-face meeting really does need to happen. Yeah, and I am, I am quite hopeful for the meeting on Thursday, actually, just because I feel... Um, motivated by it being an interpersonal conversation. We're going to sit down. We're going to really kind of explore what doubts they might have and contextualize any gaps they might they might be sitting with right now. Um, and I mean, I, I, I maybe this is a bit naive of me, but I feel like a lot of the a lot of the reluctance or pushback from MQFF right now is just coming from a point of lack of education. So if I can just explain the wider picture to them and talk to them as a queer Palestinian myself, uh, I think I think we're on quite a good track at the moment. You mentioned African films. Uh, it sounds like Melbourne Queer Film Festival has taken some steps, including films from Cameroon and Namibia, but it sounds like that's not enough. Yeah, it's tricky too where historically the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, I've noticed this in a lot of their programming where even the narratives that are representative of minoritized identities, culturally minoritized identities, um, still feed into stereotypical narratives of either the model migrant uh, of this person of color needing to seek refuge in the Anglo West in order to survive as a queer person or um, they enforce the stereotype of someone's homeland being inherently queer phobic. So 
Um, I've noticed there are a couple, there's maybe one film on the program this year that doesn't do that. But uh, having said that, the opening night, um, the opening night screening, I think it's called Flea, uh, is uh, co-presented with the ASRC. And it's a migrant narrative about an Afghan queer man who ends up needing to move to Europe in order to live his queer life, which is a narrative that we as people of color are really trying to push back against because it just feeds into Islamophobia and also upholds this idea that we there's no place for us amongst our own people, which is inherently false as someone who has found queer community in Palestine and in Lebanon, where I'm where I'm also from. It really sounds like there does need to be more uh more films that really include emerging communities and really oppressed communities around the world, especially in the Middle East. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because in the uh, original email that or the correspondence that we had earlier this year around underrepresentation of our narratives, the response was that they weren't really working with many options. There weren't enough movies out there for them to represent the community um, justly, which again, is an inaccurate uh, inaccurate response given that in Palestine in particular, I mean, this is just one very obvious example. We do have a queer film festival called Aswat um, that happens that that does depict Palestinian queer narratives. So it's not that they don't have the option there. It's that maybe they're not doing this active work to seek out generative narratives And what I'd said earlier about the Melbourne Queer Film Festival having been founded as quite a radical festival, it was the first first festival in the Southern Hemisphere to use the word queer as an identifier as opposed to lesbian and gay because they'd acknowledged the fact that, well, no, we're dealing with the intersections now of what it means to come from these different queer identities. But, But so the fact that the... Melbourne Queer Film Festival has been radical in the past or was founded on the basis of of this radical ideology, they now have the opportunity to get there again um, and, to, and to do right by minoritized queer people who still today are facing oppression from imperialist structures in particular, like the State of Israel. And it really sounds like you're highlighting issues, not just for the festival, but also for the broader queer community in Melbourne to consider. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the timing feels quite ripe as well, where because of the unity intifada that happened earlier this year, where people were taking to the streets for the first time in my life, I've, I've felt a solidarity with the Melbourne scene more broadly, but then of course, uh, queer subcultures as well showing up for us. Uh, and and I think there are all these different avenues that are that are feeding into my hopefulness around the cause where I know for a fact that we're being heard for the first time in my life. I'm actually seeing that we're being heard. Uh, and, and queer people in Melbourne in particular want to show up for us. And so something I want to highlight in terms of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival is that they're not just doing Palestinians a favor. They're not just taking care of our community them standing with Palestinian human rights would actually be in support of the broader queer community in this city, which, I mean, if that's not the intention of the festival, I don't know, I don't know what would be. 
Well, Jane Harani, thank you so much for talking to me on 3CR today. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. 3CR. And LaJane's meeting with the Melbourne Queer Film Festival on Thursday did not happen. We did contact Melbourne Queer Film Festival for a statement about its decisions and that refers to a statement on their website. We've published a link to their statement on the In Your Face page on the 3CR site. Solange with Weary, featuring Tweet. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Well, musician Simona Castricum will shortly open her new show Sync with Carla Zimbler at North Melbourne's Arts House. And I chatted with Simona this week. 
just even me walking through the street is enough to destabilize uh, the sort of, you know, very binary frameworks in which, um, you know, gender is surveilled or policed or understood or, you know, defined. And um, there are consequences to that. So um, I've always been very interested in music as a site of, um, of transing, if you like, and um, how my music has been a place where I can, I guess, um, you know, occupy space as a gender non-conforming person. Tell us about the music in sync. Well, the music for sync, you know, sort of conceived, you know, it's not often that I've been commissioned to do a piece from zero, you know. Often when I write music, I'm sort of writing in the studio and, you know, I eventually get, you know, a set of songs or a set of sketches, if you like, that become an album or that become a piece of music. Whereas for this, it was, you know, literally being put into into a rehearsal space with Carla and, um, you know, it was, um, you know, written on site. It was written around, you know, um, uh, you know, this, this live performance and what that would be. So the, the, the music is sort of inextricably linked to, uh, you know, I guess like the, the stage and the performance and, and, and what we're trying to do and what we're trying. And, and then so I guess we're trying to articulate this vision sonically, but then, you know, um, from a, you know, from a, from a visual perspective as well, we're trying to communicate a very similar thing. So it's been a, a bit of a, a relationship between, between Carla and I and then, and, and we've come together in this stage uh, construction, which is this um, curtain, string curtain, which is, you know, hovering above me. And it's, it's like an asterisk, the, the rotating star, if you like, that, um, that rotates around me. So it's very dynamic. Um, but it's also like this idea, I guess, of like this idea of sort of like X marks the spot, you know, often in sort of architecture and, you know, in, in planning and all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, it's, it's like the, the asterisk or like the sort of like the, the cross, I think, is used a lot as like a very important site. So I, I think we're just sort of trying to borrow a little bit from that, from that terminology. And it really sounds like your background as an architect has had a huge influence on this work. Yeah, look, generally it does. My, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, as a as a as an architect, um, but I think also as a gender non-conforming person, I think I've been all, always sort of interested in, you know, imagining new worlds and imagining worlds where queerness and transness, I guess, is. Um, you know, sort of part and parcel of it is is sort of, there's a place of safety and belonging, and I think of of sort of permanence. I think, and it's so interesting how you talk about X marks the spot. You know, being a gender non-conforming person on the streets that kind of you know puts you perhaps in a position where you are the X. You know, on the spot. Well, I think that's what I was alluding to. I think in 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 that first question is that just 
you know, part of the part of the, the problem with this, this normative world is that, or the normative world is that the normative world marks difference. And it marks difference in a way that it's like, yeah, anyone that is different or anyone that is sort of like, you know, sort of like pushing against those norms is marked for surveillance or is marked for policing or is marked for discrimination or some kind of attention that we don't necessarily consent to. And, um, you know, it makes occupation of that space pretty difficult, but we've, we've got to sort of negotiate, I, I guess, our own way through that space and we've got to formulate our own sort of tactics of survival. And so that's a lot about what my, my music's sort of about. Although, you know, Sync Sync is almost a bit of a progression, I think, from the last album, which is Panic Desire, which I guess is is all about that that's sort of coming from the phd which is 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 all about that navigation of space from a trans and gender diverse perspective but you know i feel like where um where this work is developing is probably more into i guess like a personal um you know sort of territory i think and it really sounds like an activist work, especially in this time of, of increased surveillance of everyone, but especially people who do stand out, you know, who, who don't fit into kind of, you know, heteronormative societal constraints. Well, you know, I often say, like, you know, just, you know, you know, you know, like I don't know. It's it's, it's like sort of like being being trans in on its own. Like shouldn't shouldn't really be this sort of activist statement. You know, like we just should really have the capacity just to be ourselves as, you know, and to sort of um, you know have um, you know just for our de- for our ideas. I think to be seen outside of our transness. You know, like what what could we be? outside of our transness, if that's all we're going to be seen for, if that's all we're going to be marked for, then are we being seen at all, you know? And I think that's sort of like the frustrating thing um, about transness. It really sounds like your work is, is challenging stereotypes and labels and the constraints of stereotypes and labels. And challenging the perception. You know, I want people to see a little bit deeper into, I guess, like the lives of, you know, you know, of, of trans people, but I guess also like the art that we make. I mean, you know, it's like we, we don't always have to make songs that are political or that are, you know, activist or that are rebellious or something like that. Um, yet we're sort of like always sort of thrust into that condition. I feel like sync is, um, I mean, the idea of sync is, uh, you know, also I think too about, um, you know, just like sort of like the acceptance of, um, you know, this this has been a pretty hard couple of years, I think, and um, you know, just like surrendering the stuff that we sort of can't control, and just, um, you know, aside from being, you know, who we are as as individuals, it's there's a whole lot that we've had to kind of deal with, I think, in the last couple of years. So I guess I'm just um, sort of we're creating, a, I think, a bit of a space where. We're recognising that our community, I think, has sort of, um, you know, experienced a bit of loss or experienced a bit of grief and, 
you know, in, in a whole lot of different ways. So, um, you know, the, the place of performance is a place of catharsis. And um, if that's something that we can share with the audience um, and make a unique connection with, then, you know, I think that we can, we can do that. Um, but, yeah, and I, and I think we've achieved that with what we've done with Sync, with Carla and I. And it must feel absolutely fantastic in the rehearsals, letting all that out. Uh, well, it's been fantastic getting, well, we've certainly rehearsed a lot for this work because um, it was, you know, it's the third time that we've got it up. So, you know, we go back into Arts House next next week, I think it is, and um, we'll rehearse again and uh, we will cross our fingers that we get to actually perform the work to, um, to an audience. Um, at the moment, we've only done it to a... Um, uh, we, we, we did a dress rehearsal. So, yeah, to be able to actually get to do it. But but the work has progressed actually quite a lot. Just I'm, I'm sort of in some ways I'm so, kind of glad that we have had the extra time because it means that I've had to, I've been able to, you know, add some, add some lyrics and just polish it up a little bit. 3CR You're listening to an interview with Simona Castricum. And here's her track, Grateful for the Heartache.
Simona Kastrikan there, and I'm chilling with Simona about her production with Carla Zimbler at Arts House called Sync. So it's purpose-built for this town hall, which gives us this enormous throw of light. Um, and, um, you know, we work with a 3D modelling, um, you know, an architectural, um, architectural student, um, Cody McConnell, who's sort of like, you know, because I guess these are like ideas of the city that I guess I'm still trying to explore, but but to sort of like create this world that, that we're projecting onto the curtain. So it's almost like this sort of gaming environment. And um, so, you know, sort of this electronic music response to it where sometimes we sort of feel like we're in, you know, this yeah, this really intense kind of gaming environment, which is kind of cool. I've been able to sort of think about, I guess, the way that some of my music might translate to that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's fun. It really sounds like you capture the stadium techno experience in an intimate environment for the audience. Stadium techno is a funny thing. I mean, it's just like... You know, like my sound's really kind of built for really big things. I, you know, I'm really inspired, I think, by, you know, bands like Depeche Mode or, or, or whatever and, um, you know, how how that can sort of like take over these really big venues, you know, and, you know, so, sounds like sort of disco and techno or house or all that sort of stuff never really, you know, there's, there's, they're very sort of underground or clubs, you know, kind of sounds. Um, but, of course, like, you know, we, we sort of hear techno and EDM in these really big spaces, you know, eventually. But, um, yeah, I'm just really interested in how we can occupy that, you know. So the Disco Sucks movement in the late 70s sort of kicked us out of those places. It was a very homophobic, transphobic and very racist movement, you know, um, that there was sort of that, I don't know if you remember but or, or, or if you know, if the listeners know, but it was sort of in the late 70s there was this sort of anti-disco movement and um, all of these uh, in the United States, um, some radio station um, organised for, you know, about 20,000 people to turn up to a baseball game to bring a disco record. They got entry through a disco record. And um, then they put all of the disco records in the middle of the field, in the middle of the show, in the middle of the game, and they um, they blew it up with explosives. So um, I've always thought, well, you know, how do we? That that was sort of this way that the stadium was weaponized against um, against disco. It's an amazing piece of history and direct action, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and and I've got you know I've got a I've got a I've got a video I've got a VHS video sitting beside me here, which is um, the KLF Stadium House, and um, you know I can't help but think, but that has that that's got some sort of nod to it. But um, yeah, and then I I kind of think of um, you know one of my favourite um, you know videos or movies you know music movies from the eighties is. Um, Depeche Mode's 101, which is where they go and, um, you know, perform at uh, Rose Bowl Stadium in Los Angeles and to- absolutely knock it out of the park. So, 
you know, I'm just being a bit cheeky. 3CR. Yeah, I mean, it's always really important, I think, to champion the you know the 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 local um trans and gender diverse scene but also like it's um you know it's I've, I've been really fortunate i think in the last 10 years to be just one part of it it's a really amazing community it's a community i'm really proud of um the sort of live music and dj um electronic music community um and uh, there's just so many great artists and um you know i'm really keen to see what you know what else to what else sort of moves in that's sort of like one one sort of decade and now we're moving into another one and now that we're coming out of lockdown it's it's really exciting to see you know like you know queer and trans uh, you know un- underground music develop again into you know its own going from strength to strength if you like but um you know as the cliche goes but um you know, I think the, the 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 time between lockdowns earlier this year, I think, was really unprecedented. I think I hadn't been as excited as I had for a very long time. You know, and as a DJ, I was kind of like, well, I don't think I want to DJ at the moment. I think I'm pretty happy just to, you know, go back and you know dance in dance on the dance floor and become a student again. You know, um, there's there's a, there's a time when you've just got to sort of sit back and let the experts do it. And, you know, and I think, you know, this, this, this is such a great new generation of, of players and, and songwriters and, um, and musicians coming through. So, you know, sometimes the best way to support is just to take a back seat and, and, and watch them on stage be brilliant. <laughs> and there's just so much brilliant queer music being made in Melbourne. I mean, it's just such a great time to be, you know, a lover of queer music here. Yeah, I mean, it's always been a great city for it, but um, yeah, like I said, it's um, it, 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 even though the restrictions have really, you know, negated so much, um, you know, I feel like we're about to propel again, um, and going back to full capacity. I think in the next couple of weeks, I just hope that that means that by the start, by the time we get to the start of twenty twenty two, I think that. Um, the smaller venues, the front bars, the back bars that facilitated so many of those small shows um, will be back. And and when they're back, you know, I think that that's when we'll see, um, you know, people, I, I've, I've, I always, I've, I always really felt for people that moved here in like, you know, January, February, March in 2021, um, or 2020, sorry, and and just there was nothing. And so two years later, hopefully now there's this opportunity for them to sort of realise, I guess, the dreams that they sort of moved to Melbourne with. And um, but, but on the other side of that too, it's, it's like a lot of people have gone back to Perth or have gone back to Brisbane or Newcastle or, or wherever or Adelaide and those scenes have, have, um, have emerged quite well because they haven't been in such a strict lockdown so you know i feel like i feel like queer, queer musicians have sort of benefited across across the country so it still goes on we're still writing what projects are next for you after sync well i gotta finish my phd um which i gotta do in the next two months and um is demoing the new album 
you know, and uh, and and sync is, you know, what the new album's sort of based off, I think. But um, yeah, I, I think I want to make a bit of a conceptually. I think I just want to make a bit of a change. I think and just make a bit of a move. I think you know, the last album was was really written within academia, which I found was very counterintuitive. Um, I mean, it worked quite well and quite quite proud of Panic, Panic Desire. Um, but the next album, I just feel as if I need to, um, you know, just go back to basics. You know, I just think I want to deal with grief, loss and heartbreak, you know. It's like maybe I just want to write an album that's, you know, like The Cure's pornography or disintegration or something like that, you know. It's, it's you know, I, I, I just, I'm just sort of like resisting. It's like every step I take, does it really need to be this political statement, you know. And, um, yeah, I can, be, I can be something other than that. Give us those details for Sync so people can go and see your extraordinary production. Yeah, so December 1, 2, 3 and 4 at Arts House at, um, in North Melbourne. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're on about 8 o'clock each night. It's about half an hour performance. And, um, yeah, tickets are on sale from Arts House. Awesome stuff. Samantha Kastrikum, thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. It's been a great privilege. Thank you so much. 
And that was Joy Division. We'll catch you next week on Your Face. Taking us as Mazzy Star. She hangs brightly. Thank you.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. I think 3CR is the voice of the people, speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think, and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. Sovereignty was never ceded. 3CR.